Let's bow our hearts together, shall we, this morning, and uh, look to the Lord. Father, these words about you guiding the future as you have the past, that we can leave to you to order and provide, even through thorny ways, because you will always remain faithful. And there's so much joy and thanksgiving welling up in our hearts as we sing these great truths about the God whom holds us in his hands. And we thank you that you are present today, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Thank you that the word of God has opened before us and you have so much to enrich our lives with. And so we just open our hearts to you and ask that you might instruct us, encourage us, and lead us, Lord, in the way that we should go. And we'll pray these things for Jesus' blessed sake. Amen. On April 15th, uh, 1865, President Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. On July 2nd, 1865, the Salvation Army was founded. What do these two events, less than three months apart in the same year, have in common? John Wilkes Booth murdered President Lincoln. William Booth founded the Salvation Army. They were distant cousins of each other. They were relatives from the same family of origin. Uh, One Booth harmed millions of people by killing perhaps our greatest president. The other Booth rescued millions of people by founding the Salvation Army. You know what? It's often true that in the same family, members go in radically different directions, isn't it? That is often true. And if we ask ourselves this question, what was the difference between John Wilkes Booth and uh, his distant cousin, William Booth? Well, at 15 years of age, John Will- or, uh, William Booth experienced salvation, and that salvation changed his life forever. But there is no record that John Wilkes Booth was ever saved. Put very simply, the difference between these two cousins was salvation, was salvation. This morning, as we continue in our series on the whole armor of God, we are now looking at the helmet of salvation. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians 6 once again. And I want you to fasten your eyes down at verse 17 because this statement is so very, very important for our Christian experience. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says to us, and take the helmet of salvation. Now this morning, as we've been doing, we wanna do three things. Number one, we wanna see the importance of the Roman soldier's helmet. Number two, we want to look at the spiritual meaning for us as Christians. And then because this is so very relevant to our Christian life, we want to apply this to our walk in the world, all right? 
So let's begin by talking about the importance of the Roman soldier's helmet. It had two purposes. Number one, it was decorative. It identified which army you belonged to. It was decorative. It identified which army you belonged to. Uh, the soldier's helmet was much like a football helmet. It was highly decorative and an ornate piece of equipment. And just by looking at a helmet, you could tell which army a soldier belonged to. This helmet that you see on the screen, it was worn by the Imperial Guard. These were the very soldiers that guarded the Apostle Paul when he wrote us these words. He saw this helmet every day for a period of about two years. These were elite troops, much like the Army Rangers today, much like the Navy SEALs. They were well-trained warriors. And you knew when you saw this helmet, that's the Imperial Guard of Rome. Second purpose for the soldier's helmet, it was protective. It protected the head from fatal blows. It was protective. It protected the head from fatal blows. Now there were two types of helmets. There was the galia, which was thick leather with metal plates. And then there was the cassis, which was made out of bronze. The bronze helmet was so heavy, it was lined with felt or sponge, so a soldier could wear it effectively on his head. And it was designed to protect the head from the blows of the broadsword. Now let me read for you what the broadsword was like. The broadsword was 34 feet long with a huge massive handle. It was held like a baseball bat. And a warrior on a horse would ride into the foot soldiers wielding this broad sword and he could deal a heavy crushing splitting blow to the skull of his opponent. But if you had your helmet on, you were protected. You were protected. Nothing short of an axe or a hammer could pierce a heavy helmet. So here's what a soldier felt when he had his helmet on. He felt, I can engage the enemy. I can take his best blows. I can fight on to victory. He can't stop me. That was the helmet. Now, how does this then apply to our lives spiritually as Christians? What is the spiritual meaning of this? Well, let's move secondly to that, all right? And as we look at the spiritual meaning of the Roman soldier's helmet, there are two things. Number one, assurance of present salvation. As Christians, the helmet teaches us we can be sure of our present salvation. He says that here. The helmet is salvation. Now it's interesting, four times the word salvation or saved appears in the book of Ephesians and two of those times it's talking about the certainty of present salvation. Turn back to chapter 2 for just a moment. And look with me, if you would, at verse 5. And notice what it says. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, 
you have been saved. And then drop down to verse 8 and notice it again. For by grace you have been saved. Now I want you to notice the tense of this verb. You have been saved. It carries this idea. You have been saved and the results continue on. You are in a state of salvation. You are in a condition the Bible describes as salvation. You can know right now that you are saved and you are in that state of salvation if you have the helmet of salvation on. A friend of mine one day said to a Jehovah's Witness, are you sure that you have eternal life? And they said, oh, you can't know that. You can't know that. Let me ask you a question this morning. Does a football player know if he has his helmet on or not? Unless he's knocked unconscious, I think he does. And in the same way, we can know we have the helmet of salvation on and we are in a state of salvation. Now here's the second spiritual application of the helmet of salvation, assurance of future salvation. Assurance of future salvation. You see, many people are sure that they're saved now, but they will say, I can't be sure that I'll be saved in the end when Jesus comes again. So what they're saying is this, I'm in a state of salvation now, I know that, but I can't be 100% sure that when Jesus comes again, I will still be in a state of salvation. Did you know this? The first use of salvation in Ephesians talks about future salvation being included. Look at chapter 1 for just a moment and notice with me verses 13 and 14 because this is so very important for us to grasp. Chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, and notice here how future salvation is included. Look what it says. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now fasten on that word inheritance. An inheritance is something you get in the future after a death has occurred. This is describing future salvation. And notice he says here, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of this inheritance. I have a note in my Bible that says guarantee means a down payment. And we all know what a down payment is. When you make a down payment, it is a guarantee that you are going to pay the rest. The greatest assurance of future salvation for the Christian is we have a down payment. That down payment is the indwelling Holy Spirit. And by the way, did you notice he's the down payment until we acquire possession of it? Did you notice it's not if we acquire possession of it? It's not if. It is until we acquire possession of it. 
So when you have on the helmet of salvation, you are not only assured of present salvation, but you are also assured of future salvation. Now, brothers and sisters, this has profound ramifications for our Christian life. The implications of this for Christian living are just huge. They are huge. Did I say this morning they're huge? They are. And I want to move now to the application. And I want to make three applications of the helmet of salvation to your walk in this world and mine. Okay? Here's the first one. Number one. To fight well, you must know which team you are on. To fight well, you must know which team you are on. Uh, the first time I ever saw the rivalry between Nagani and Marquette was at a hockey game at the Lakeview Arena. And I was sitting with a Nagani family and I realized this is an intense rivalry. I found that out very quickly. Now let me ask you this, what would you think if a Nagani player on the hockey team started playing for Marquette? Or what would you think if a Marquette player started shooting shots at the Marquette goalie for Nagani? There's two things you would think. Number one, you better not show up to school the next morning, right? And the second thing you would think is, he is very confused. You cannot fight for your team if you don't know which team you're on. And brothers and sisters, we can't fight well in the Christian life if we do not know which team we are on. Now that leads to a very basic question that everybody needs to have settled in their heart. How can we be sure that we are saved? How can we be sure? And this morning, I want us to understand that there are three things that need to be true in your life for you to be sure you have the helmet of salvation on. I want to put them in the form of three questions. And I want to say this this morning. You are not saved because you grew up in a church. You don't have salvation because you know all that the church teaches. Your parents very likely brought you to church so that you would be saved, but it's not by growing up in church that you are saved. There are three things that have to happen for you to be saved, and they are so very important. Here's the first question. Do you know that you're a sinner, and do you feel bad about it? Have you ever come to the place where you say, I know I'm a sinner and I feel bad about it? Pastor Adrian Rogers said this, Jesus didn't die to save us from hell, but he died to save us from sin. And he was absolutely right. 
Being saved from hell is the benefit of salvation. It's not the reason for salvation. The reason for salvation is to save us from sin. And it is not our goodness, but our badness that causes us to want to be saved from sin. And so question number one, do you know that you are a sinner? And have you ever really felt bad that that's true about you? Here's the second question. Have you placed your personal trust in Jesus depending upon him and surrendering to him? Have you placed your personal trust in Jesus depending upon him and surrendering to him? One of the best definitions I've ever heard of faith is this. Faith is personal trust in a personal savior. I love that definition. Faith is personal trust in a personal Savior. We are saved when it becomes personal. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Have you ever trusted Jesus like that? Here's the third question. Does Jesus now live in you and you know you are a new person. Does Jesus now live in you and you know you are a new person? 1 John 5:12 says this, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. It's really very simple, isn't it? If Jesus lives within you, you have life. If he does not live within you, you do not have life. So here's the question. You are saved if you know Jesus lives in me. And 1 John tells us there are three signs for everyone in whom Jesus lives in. Number one, you believe the truth about Christ as it's revealed in the Bible. Number two, you love other Christians and it's an active love. It's not a passive love. And number three, you obey Christ's commands. Those are the three signs of anyone in whom Jesus now is living. I remember when I was a teenager, I was saved as a teenager. Uh, the age of a number of you that are here this morning. And I knew that when I was saved, I became different from my unsaved friends that I related to in my neighborhood and at school. I knew now Jesus lives in me in a way that makes me different from my friends. And all three of those signs started showing up in my life. I believed the truth about Christ and wanted to know it. I began loving other Christians in a way I hadn't before, and I wanted to now obey the commands of Christ like I had never obeyed before. All three of those signs showed up, hear this carefully, not perfectly, but clearly. When you have the helmet of salvation and Jesus lives within you, those signs will show up not perfectly, but they will show up clearly. Now think about this. The helmet of salvation, when you have received it, 
is placed on your head personally by the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. Think of that this morning. When you come to Jesus in the way the Bible describes, He, with nail-scarred hands, places the helmet of salvation on your head. And now knowing you are saved, you can fight sin and Satan with all the might that Jesus brings because you are now on his team. What an important application. To fight well, you have to know whose team you are on. Here's the second application. Number two, to fight well, you must know you are equipped for battle. To fight well, you must know that you are equipped for battle. Look back at chapter 1, verse 3, and this is one of the most favorite verses of mine in all of the Bible. I love Ephesians 1, 3, and notice what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now let me ask a question this morning. How many spiritual blessings have we received? What's the word? Yeah, all or every, every spiritual blessing. You don't need as a Christian anything more. And then Paul begins to tell us in chapter 1 what those blessings are. Let me just give them for you as they are enumerated in verses 3 down to verse 13. He says we're chosen, we're predestined, we're adopted, we're loved, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, we have an inheritance that is guaranteed to us. And then if that is not enough, in chapter 2, he has adds a whole bunch more in that chapter he says we're saved made alive raised with Christ seated with Christ created in Christ God's workmanship can I ask you what more could we possibly need right so here's the key the helmet of salvation is the key to all of those blessings and once you have it on, you have all the rest. I was once in a ball game where our coach did not bring our equipment. No balls, no bats. In fact, you know what? We had to borrow them from the other team. How disappointing. How discouraging right off the bat. Uh, how many of you think we won that game? We lost that game. How are you going to win if you don't have your equipment? We were disorganized from the very start. Now let me ask you this question. Why is the U.S. military the best fighting force in the world? They're the best trained. They're the best equipped. That's why. Listen carefully. 
All of us. If you have on the helmet of salvation, you've been equipped with everything you need. It is not a matter of getting anything more. It is a matter of understanding thoroughly your equipment and using it in your life. And the more that you do that, the more confident you will be, and confidence makes a better soldier. Is that not right? Absolutely. The more that you come to understand the equipment, the every spiritual blessing, and the more you use that equipment in your Christian experience, the more confident you will become. And confidence makes a better soldier. And to fight well, you must know you are equipped for battle. Here's the third application, number three. To fight well, you must know you can win. To fight well, you must know you can win. Would you agree with me, a team that is convinced of winning plays very differently than one that believes they won't win? Would you agree with that? The team that is convinced uh, that they can win, even when they get down in the score, they know we can come back. In fact, when that often happens, this is what they will say. We were down, but we knew we could come back, and we played like we would come back. That's what happens when you have the confidence that you can win. You may be down, but you're convinced you can win, and you play like you will win. Now, here's the question that I want to ask. As Christians, are we going to win? I have a few confident Christians here this morning. Let me ask it again. As Christians, are we going to win? Yes. Let me ask a second question. What if we get down, can we come back? Yes. 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 Look with me at chapter 1, verse 18 for a moment. I want you to notice what this verse says. It's very important. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And now what is that hope? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? The one spiritual resource I haven't mentioned yet is hope. And hope in the Bible for Christians is not an expectation of winning, but is an assurance of winning. 
when we read in the Bible that as Christians we have a hope, it's not an expectation of winning, it is an assurance of winning, and you'll notice in the verse, there's our word inheritance again, only now it's described as a glorious inheritance because it will be received in glory, and remember, this inheritance is the guarantee of heaven because the indwelling Holy Spirit is the down payment that guarantees it until the possession of it. So here's what the helmet means. The helmet assures us not just that we can win, but we will win even if we get down. The helmet of salvation assures us not just that we can win, but we will win even if we get down. And that helps us to get back up and to keep fighting. A friend of mine who had a terrible sinful failure came to visit me one day unexpectedly. And what he did in his life was demoralizing, it was discouraging, in fact, it could have ruined him for good. But here's what he did. He admitted his sin. He humbled himself to those that were involved. He repented of it. He sought forgiveness. And those who came alongside of him to help him come back to spiritual healing, he accepted their ministry in his life. And Jesus restored him to wholeness and usefulness. And today, this friend of mine, his life is healed. And he's blessing many, many people. And on that occasion, when he visited me, before he left, he prayed for me. It's one of the most uplifting prayers I've ever heard. What are we being taught here? When we know we are on the winning team, even when we're down, we're not out because Jesus can bring us back. Do you believe that this morning? When we know we are on the winning team, even when we are down, we are not out because Jesus can bring us back. Are you down today? Are you defeated in some way? Is there some overwhelming failure? Why fight on? Why fight on? Because if you have the helmet of salvation on, you're on the winning team. And even when you are down, 
you are not out. Because Jesus can bring you back. Do you know what Paul calls this helmet in 1 Thessalonians 5.8? He calls it the helmet of the hope of salvation. The helmet of the hope of salvation. We're on the winning side. And that gives us confidence to keep on fighting. Because the captain of our salvation will not fail. And even when we're down, we're not out. Because Jesus can bring us back. Oh, what a resource. When you have the helmet of salvation, you have everything else till Jesus comes. Let's thank the Lord, shall we? Let's bow our hearts together. If you're here today and you're uncertain, you are in a state of salvation. You need to settle that. You can turn to Christ even at this very moment. And he has the power to save. And so turn to him. As a Christian, to fight well, you must know you're equipped with bat for the battle. You must understand your equipment, and you must use your equipment. And then in those times of downness, those times of defeat, those times of failure, if you're going to fight on, you have to know, I can win. I can win. Let the Lord apply his word to you. However you need it this morning. Father, thank you now. For Jesus' sake, amen.